Okay? I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're almost at uh, the, the, the great day of Rosh Hashanah. Um, and uh, I want to just share with you a, a kind of a, a visualization that I've been thinking about just as a way to um, understand the day. And so, so, so it goes something like this. I don't know if you've if you've um, ever seen this. It's sort of like a, a popular image. In fact, I think it's on the cover of the maybe I, it may be the best-selling record album of all time, "Dark Side of the Moon" by Pink Floyd. Um, but uh, even if it's not the best-selling, it's it's way up there. But you see it a lot, um, which is which is it's a prism, a crystal prism, and on one side there's white light going through. And then it gets refracted through the prism, and then you see the different um, colors of the rainbow coming out from the other side. So uh, hopefully you'll be able to um, visualize this, or, or perhaps you're familiar with this image already. Again, a, a triangular crystal prism in the middle, white light going through on one side, and being refracted out on the other side, the different colors of the rainbow. Has, has everyone seen that? Do, do, do you know what I'm referring to? No, you've never seen that? No? Okay, but can you imagine that? Okay. So, so we're going to draw on that piece of imagery um, in a moment uh, to help us understand Rosh Hashanah. But, but let's just take one step backwards uh, before we do. So let's imagine the, the idea of Pesach for a moment. The idea of Pesach is that Hashem is saving us and He's taking us out of our Mitzrayim we know that Mitzrayim has the same uh, root in Hebrew as the word narrowness. So God is taking us out of all of our, our narrowness. Um, and, and, and that's the, the, the root salvation of, of, of Pesach. And yet the reality is, is that God is saving us on an ongoing basis all year long. So in other words, on a very deep level, every day is Pesach. Um, let me give you another example of what I'm talking about. Um, Hashem is there even when we don't think that he's there and he's still rescuing us. This is the idea if you were to, well, what's that? That, that would be Purim. And the whole concept of Purim is even when Hashem seems very far away, not only is he there, but he's working all the, uh, all the levers in order to protect us. So that's, that's Purim. Um, you see what it is. Let's return back to that image that white light going through the prism and then being refracted into different individual colors. Mm-hmm. You see... They have one with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, there it is. There's the image. Thank you for bringing it up. Does it... Okay, now everyone, now everyone knows it? Okay, good. There's one with the monogamy. Oh, really? Oh, awesome. Okay, maybe we'll make that the picture for this week's talk. Um, okay, good. So maybe we'll add one more step. Um, if you take a color wheel, and this ties into how this works, but we're just approaching it from a different angle and we're going to tie it all together in a moment. If you take a color wheel, let's say like a, like a spinning top that has a circle of all of the colors and you spin it, do you know what, do you know what color you see while it's spinning? It's, you see white, which is interesting. In other words, you can have every single color, you know, around a circle. And you spin it, but all you see is the color white once it's spinning. Okay.
So now let's go back to this idea of that white light going through the prism and being refracted into individual colors. See, that, that white light is like, so to speak, so to speak like Hashem, Kaviyocho. And what happens is, is that when, when that gets refracted through the prism of time and space, then different distinct energies come out Let's say when it gets refracted through the calendar. And then different distinct places become the headquarters for that particular energy. So again, Hashem is always saving us. It's like the white light. Hashem is always saving us. But it gets refracted through time and space, through the calendar, so to speak. And then one ray of that light becomes Pesach. And we celebrate that particular quality on that particular day, which then becomes the headquarters or the capital of that idea. Purim is always going on. You're never actually able to see Hashem exactly, and yet Hashem is saving us all the time. So when do we celebrate that? That's, that would be the, the 15th or the 14th of Adar. It gets refracted through time and space through the calendar. Okay, so hopefully... Hopefully these ideas are making sense. And now we can go back to Rosh Hashanah. You see, it's our tradition that Hashem is creating and recreating the world every single moment. It's always going on. And yet, the capital of idea, the beginning of all beginnings, is Rosh Hashanah. We celebrate that ongoing creation which is going on all of the time on Rosh Hashanah. Because on Rosh Hashanah, God is bringing the entire thing into reality. So that becomes the capital, the headquarters of all beginnings. So now, let's just pause to think about that for a moment. That means that this, that every Rosh Hashanah, especially this Rosh Hashanah that's coming, we're standing at the beginning of all beginnings. We're, we're, we have distilled for us that particular quality of Hashem, which is our ability to access all beginnings that are about to take place. That's an incredible opportunity. That's an amazing, amazing, amazing opportunity. I want to build on this thought, but I want to tell you a uh, very interesting thing that I learned just this past Shabbos. Um, I attended a, a talk by one of the, the world's leading cardiologists, uh, someone named Robert Roberts. And uh, he shared this piece of information with me. But before I give it over to you, I'm going to contextualize it in a, in a Jewish concept, uh, context, so, so, um, so we, we can get a, a fuller appreciation of it. Rosh Hashanah marks the beginning of a three-week journey for us begins on Rosh Hashanah, and it begins 21 or 22 days later, we'll cover that in a moment, on Simchas Torah. That's, that's, that's when it all culminates. Um, and it's an amazing journey. So is it 21 days or is it 22 days? It's three weeks for sure. But is it exactly 21 days or 22 days? So that depends on a very interesting quirk in the in, in, the, in, in the Hebrew calendar, 
and how we understand Rosh Hashanah. You see, Rosh Hashanah, according to um, uh, Jewish law, is either two days or one 48-hour day. <laughs> and believe it or not, that's um, beyond a mystical concept. That's, there are actually halachic ramifications to that. And I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Um, so, so, you see, whenever you have like a mystical idea, you have to ask yourself, okay, how does it come down in terms of Jewish law, in terms of the here and now? Because that ultimately will be the decider, okay? Um, but you'll see how it comes down is, 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 is sort of not so clear in the end, but we'll, we'll learn through it right now. You see, on, on, on every Jewish holiday, and certainly on Rosh Hashanah, we say the prayer Shehech which um, is thanking God for allowing us to reach this, this moment in time. Now, if it's one 48-hour day, we should say one Shehech because it's one 48-hour day. The halacha is, though, that we say two Shehech so the second day we say a separate Shehech so then you would say, okay, that's the resolution of the question. It's two 24-hour days. That's it. However, there's a twist, which is that the rabbis aren't so convinced that it's two 24-hour days. And so they advise us, when you say the Shehechianu, the second day, you're supposed to have something new in mind that you're wearing so that the Shehechianu can go either on that new thing that you're wearing or that new food that you're about to eat, just so in case it's a one 48-hour day holiday, that second Shachianu that you're saying is not a, what we call a bracha levatala, a prayer said in vain, but is actually either going on the new food that you're going to eat or the new piece of clothing that you're wearing. So in other words, when all is said and done, it's very unclear, according to Jewish law, whether it's two 24-hour days, or Shoshona, or one 48-hour day. But the fact that when all is said and done, that the opinion that it could be still one 48-hour day is pretty wild. That means that here at this juncture, when we're at the beginning of all beginnings, the capital of all beginnings, this idea of this very expansive construct of this day exists. Like it's a very unique space that we're, that we're occupying for, for this period. So, so again, that then shows you that, well, maybe it's 20, maybe it's 22 days. Or, or maybe it is 21 days because the first day is one 48-hour day. So either way, it's three weeks. Now, there's a, like I say, a complete journey that we're taking in these three weeks. And just as an aside, before we get to the point that I wanted to make, let's say it is 22 days and not 21 days. So 22 days is actually very interesting because 22 is the number of the Hebrew letters in the Aleph base. And we know that Hashem created the world through the letters of the Aleph base. So here you see that from Rosh Hashanah, all the way to Simcha's Torah, which is the completion of the Torah itself, right? That there's an entire rotation, an entire act of 
creation that's taking place in these 22 days. That in itself is very resonant. Okay. But now let's get back to this idea that it really is exactly three weeks, exactly 21 days of this holiday cycle that we're about to embark on. What is, what is meaningful about that? So I told you that I, I attended this lecture um, uh, just this past Shabbos from Robert Roberts, this world-famous uh, cardiologist, and he shared this piece of information, which is that the human heart completely regenerates itself every three weeks. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? That beginning with Rosh Hashanah, culminating at the end of the holiday cycle, we are going to regenerate an entire new heart for ourselves. Now, what does the heart do? What, what purpose does it serve? The heart pumps blood throughout the entire body, right? What does Rosh Hashanah do for us? Rosh Hashanah takes our new resolves and it pumps them throughout the 12 months of the year. Because another way of understanding Rosh Hashanah, if, if you take a balloon, an empty balloon, that's Rosh Hashanah. And what you do is, you, it's, it's the DNA of the year, if you will, because you know that, that contained within the DNA is the entire structure of the entire thing. So like an empty balloon, you blow it up and you blow it up and you blow it up to its full, but what is that full thing? That was just the thing that you had to begin with. It's just full now, right? So we're making, so to speak, the balloon on Rosh Hashanah. Or you can say it another way. Rosh Hashanah is the balloon itself, and what we're doing on Rosh Hashanah is filling it with what our hopes and dreams are for the entire year. Again, if Rosh Hashanah is the heart, if we're making the new heart, the heart pumps blood to the whole body, what we're doing on Rosh Hashanah is taking our resolves and we're using that as the DNA for the new year that we're about to create, and that's going to extend throughout the 12 months of the year. So you see the critical importance, the absolute necessity the, the, uh, of having very high kavanas, very high intentions, very lofty intentions on Rosh Hashanah, real dreams that we want for ourselves, because that is what's going to be pumping into the entire year. So, you know, uh, a few years ago, I had this thought, and, and it, it, uh, it's the following, just extending this idea now. You know, we, we, we have this tradition, which is really, I think, kept by all, all branches to this day of the, of the Jewish people, which is on Rosh Hashanah, we dip our honey or our challah in honey, or rather our, our challah or our apple in honey. So it's, it's for a sweet year, that we should have a sweet year, and this goes back all the way to the times of the Gomorrah. Okay, this is one of the samanim, one of the, one of the signs that, that, that we do to, to make a good year. And, um, and, and, and as it was explained to me one time, we want 
We don't just want a good year, we want a sweet year. See, what does it mean a good year? Everything that comes from God is good. So no matter what, it's going to be good. But what we want is that we should be able to see the goodness in the moment itself. And that's called sweet. In other words, we want revealed good. Revealed good is called sweet. So, so we dip it in the honey, and, and, and that's our way of sort of making a, a, a supplication to God that, please, God, let everything be revealed, the goodness. Okay. But I want to say something else. You see, where, where does honey come from? From bees. Now, there's an opinion, actually, which is that, um, which is that it's impossible that a bee should be able to fly. Now, why is that? Because a bee's body is so large and its wings are so small that really, just from an engineering standpoint, a bee should not be able to fly. It should be impossible. And yet, we know bees fly. So with that in mind, I was thinking about it, and you can think of honey in that context. Honey, then, is the fruit of the impossible. Right? Honey is the fruit of the impossible. You see, so many of us get to a certain stage in our life where we say, that's impossible, and that's impossible, and that's impossible, and that's impossible. And so, on Rosh Hashanah, which is again, the capital of beginnings, which is that, that moment, which like the heart in the body, is going to be pumped through the other 12 months. We take our bread, we take our apple, we dip it in honey, and we say, you know something? All these things that maybe I was thinking were impossible, maybe they're not impossible. Maybe I can do them. And uh, this very much connects to another, um, I think, sort of like, kind of mysterious sort of irregularity about uh, Rosh Hashanah that I don't hear discussed too often. I bring it up, but other than me, I don't really hear people talking about it. But to me, it's like a very strange idea. You see, if I were to ask you, what's Rosh Hashanah? You would say, well, it's the beginning of the new year, right? And yet, if I were to ask you what month of the year it is, you would probably say, well, uh, it's obviously the first month of the year. And yet, we know that's not the case. Nisan is the first month of the year, which means Rosh Hashanah is actually the seventh month of the year. Right? Which means that we celebrate the new year in the middle of the year. <laughs> which, if you think about it, that's kind of nutty. That's kind of nutty. Right? Can you imagine, let's see, the seventh month that we would celebrate, uh, you know, everyone would gather in Times Square, at, you know, on the 1st of July. Hey, everyone. <laughs> like, who would, why would anyone celebrate New Year's Eve on, like, you know, it's like June 30th, the night of June 30th, right? Let's all gather in Times Square. No one does that. So, so again, I think that on a deep level, a lot of us get to the middle of something. The middle of our lives, middle of a project, whatever it is. And at a certain point, we run out of steam. And we go, eh. And we've lost touch with this concept of newness. See, I saw from Rabbi Wolfson something very beautiful. 
We say it in the prayers. We say, Or Chadash Al Tzion Tair, which is, um, we, we say that a, a new light should shine on Tzion, on Zion, on, your, on, on Jerusalem. And that's our prayer. God, shine a new light. But Rabbi Wolfson says, no, 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 it's deeper than that. Or Chadash is not a new light. It's a light of newness. In other words, please God, fill us with this sense of newness. Because when we've got this power and this energy of newness, then from that inspiration, we have the ability to complete projects, not only to begin projects, but also to complete projects. Because when you've got that energy of newness, every single moment really allows you to become inspired and to initiate something important. But it also, when you recover it, like Rosh Hashanah is the middle month of the year, right, which represents all the middles of our lives, when we recover that Or Chadash, that light of newness, then we're able to re-energize ourselves and power through any obstacles that we've allowed to overcome us and stand in our way until now. So, so on Rosh Hashanah, we have to be able to dream. You see, there's, there's something... Um, there, there's a trick that the Yitzhahara plays on us, the, the negative inclination plays on us, which is, which is the following. People think, and even, even like very well-intentioned people think, God exists to the extent that I believe in him. Right? So if I'm very religious, oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, God really, really exists. And if I am not religious at all, if I don't believe at all, oh, yeah, no, God doesn't really exist. But you see, God doesn't exist to the extent that we believe in him. God exists no matter what, 100%, whether we believe in him or not. So, <laughs> you know, there's this duality where on the one hand, we have to give ourselves tremendous amounts of credit because we really are the focal point of creation. Remember, Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of all beginnings, is created, is celebrated on the sixth day of creation. When God created human beings, not on the first day of creation, because human beings are the point. So on the one hand, you can't ever take yourself too seriously. You must take yourself extremely seriously. On the other hand, don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> because if I take myself too seriously, then I think I'm the center of it all, and God exists to the extent that I believe in him, and it's like, no! It doesn't matter what you think. Wait a second. I thought I'm the point of everything. You are the point of everything. So it matters exactly what I think. Mm, no, it doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> Both are true. Both are true. Let me put it to you another way, in a maybe more <coughs> famous way. They say by the Kutzkarevi that he had a, a piece of paper, two pieces of paper, one in each pocket, one that says that, that the entire world was created for my sake. And in the other pocket, 
that I'm dust and ashes. Now, the trick is, that's not the end of the teaching. The trick is knowing when to pull out each piece of paper. That's the trick. That's the trick. Uh, I'll, I'll put it to you another way so you understand. See, the Eight Sahara is really funny. The Eight Sahara comes up to us when, when, when there's a project that needs to be done in the community or something like that where we really have to sort of like lift ourselves up and take on some responsibility. Someone comes to us and says something and we go, no, 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 no. I'm, all of a sudden we become very modest. I'm not the person for that. Or no, yeah. And then if, if another person shortly thereafter insults us, does, do they know who they're talking to? <laughs> so all of a sudden when there's something that needs to be done, yeah, I'm not really, not me, you know, I'm really not the person, you know. And then all of a sudden if our pride gets insulted, all of a sudden we become giants, right? You know, you know chutzpah. Yeah. Against me, he's saying such a thing? So this is the Eight Sahara. So, so on the one hand, I'm dust and ashes. On the other hand, um, the whole world was created for me. But knowing when to pull out which response, right, that's... So when we get insulted, that's when you pull out the I'm dust and ashes. Right? You know what? He, he doesn't see what's special about me. Okay, so, so that's what it is. What, what can I do? I'm, I'm, I'm dust and ashes, right? And then when someone needs something, the whole world was created so that I should be able to do this thing for this person. It's, uh, it's not easy. It's not easy knowing when to pull out which. Because the the hard wiring of a person will, will go the other way. It will go the other way. By instinct, we just want to avoid responsibility. You know, it says that in the Gomorrah, by the way. It says it in a different way. I'll tell you the way it says it. It says that actually earth is really lazy. <laughs> if you think about it, it kind of just sits there, doesn't it? <laughs> Have you ever seen earth like saying, like going jogging? <laughs> Like with like with like sweatpants and you know sort of like carrying like a jug of water you know running down a pico or something like that like hey where are you going what do you mean where I'm going I'm the Earth I'm working out you know Earth doesn't do that Earth lies there that's Earth's job it's supposed to just lie there and stay still so a human being is called Adam and Adam comes from the word Adama which means Earth which means lazy. So we have, we're actually made, you know, you know, like when I was growing up, the every cereal commercial would say, packed with eight essential vitamins. You know, so every human being is packed with tons of essential laziness. You know, we're like, we're, we're basically made out of laziness. And, but then God puts this aspect of himself inside of each of us. And then... And then things become interesting, <laughs> right? See, this is, this is the greatness of every single human being because every human being is a microcosm of heaven and earth. 
That's the whole idea of heaven and earth. What's your soul? That's an aspect of heaven. What's your body? That's earth. That means when, when you actually empower yourself and you break your Yetzirah and you do something that is really the right thing to do, even if you don't want to do it, you bring heaven closer to earth. Because within you, you've actually done that on a very small level. But then that reverberates on a very, very large level. Again, this is the amazingness of Torah, which is that the most profound and epic changes are being acted out on tiny stages all of the time. Right? But you have to allow yourself not to be driven nuts by this idea. You know what I mean? In other words, don't, don't misuse this idea. You know, because the Sahara says, okay, now you know this teaching, now I'm going to make you really crazy, you know. <laughs> you got to be ready for this teaching. You got to say, okay, I'm not quite there yet on this. I want to get there. You know what I mean? I'll push myself, but I'm, I'm, really, I'm really not there at this point. But at least I desire to do the right thing, and I hope next time I will do the right thing. You know what I mean? You have to pace yourself, and you have to know how to talk to yourself. Because otherwise, the, the Yetzirah will like, use as a judo flip on you all of the Torah that you're learning it will use against you in order to make you crazy, in order to get you not to do it. You see, so you have to be smart. You have to know the tricks of the Yetzirah. And it doesn't mean you're going to win every time. But at least you'll know, well, wait a second, you know, I still have to take it a step at a time, right? Remember, the word halacha, which means... It's translated as Jewish law, but it's much deeper than that. It means the way, the path, right? Halacha comes from the word holech, means to walk. In other words, a step at a time. You do it a step at a time. And sometimes you take a step forward and two steps backward, but still you stay pointed in the right direction. And then hopefully you recover the ground and you advance over time. But again, you have to be in it for the long game, right? And, 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 that's the way, and that's the way it is. And also, on an even deeper level, what halacha points to is the fact that there is a way, that there is a truth. You know, that you could say that there is a proper thing to do in this time. See, one of the most overwhelming things about um, life, especially if you don't have Torah, is that you can look at the world and you can say, well, really, there are probably 10,000 different explanations for everything. You know, there's a zillion ways to understand this world. And yet, one of the things that's helped me so much in terms of, in terms of getting past that idea is that I look at how structured the universe actually is. I look at the heavens and the fact that there are trillions of heavenly bodies and that they don't smash into each other, right? Why not? Why shouldn't they? They're all exhibiting huge gravitational pulls. Why don't they smash into each other? Because there's an order to the heavens. Then if you come down and you look at air and you see that it's exactly the right combination of oxygen and other things. You know, someone told me recently that if, you were to, if there were more oxygen in the air, a little bit more, if you were to light a match, remember, you need oxygen to keep fire going. If you were to light a match, it would make a conflagration, a fire that would set the world on fire. 
And if there was a little less oxygen in the world, we'd all suffocate. Can you imagine? So the amount of oxygen, exactly right. When you look at your DNA, so throw in a few extra Y chromosomes or a few extra X chromosomes, it, you'd have nine legs and eight heads, right? It's exactly precise. And when you get down to the atomic level and subatomic level, exact, exact precision. So when you understand on a physical level that there's utter structure, utter precision to the universe, then you realize that there's one who's created this structure. And there's one who desires a particular path from us as well. So then you get to a concept. Wow, you know something? It's true. I have free choice. And there are a lot of people with a lot of different opinions around me. And they make interesting cases also. But when I look at the universe around me, it testifies to the fact that there is a truth. And what do we say? We say Torah emet, that the Torah is the truth, that the one who wrote the Torah is the one who structured the universe. And the one who has a particular desire from each and every one of us. And I think to me that's a very important teaching. That's a very important thing because, you know, it's like, it's so easy to get lost. It's so easy to get lost in this world. And I don't know how many times I've been reincarnated, you know. All of us, right? It's our tradition. All of us have been back probably many times. And it's like, wouldn't it be great to get it right? <laughs> Please, God, let me get it right. Let me get it right. And I think that this is the beginning to getting it right. To understanding that there actually is a halacha. That there actually is a path through this world. And that's a lot of what Rosh Hashanah is all about. Rosh Hashanah is saying that we have a king, that there is a master, one master, behind all of the warring forces in this world, all of the competing energies and all of the competing opinions in this world. There is one who is above all of them, and that's God, and that this entire world belongs to God. You know, I, I, I remember when I used to say Shema Yisrael with my kids before they went to bed. And they'd, they'd, you know, I'd say, you know what that means? You know what? You know, I'd say that means that, that there's one God and everything belongs to him. Right? Because how do you, for like a young child, how do you explain Shema? Right? There's one God and everything is his. So this is, this is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is saying, you know something? I'm living in God's world. You see, the temptation is to say, I believe in God. I, I believe that God exists to the extent that I believe in him. Again, the problem with this is that if I say, I believe that God exists to the extent that I believe in him, then who's running the world? I am. Because it's up to me to believe to which extent God exists. That makes me the center of the whole world. 
And the whole point of Rosh Hashanah is saying, you know what, God, you're the center of the entire world. And I'll tell you something. It's like, you know, we talk about it all the time. You see, ego is not self-esteem. You have to have self-esteem. Self-esteem means you're a good person. Self-esteem means that you believe in your worthwhileness and your ability to accomplish things. Self-esteem means that you know for a fact that God loves you and that God believes in you, right? Ego we don't need. <laughs> What's ego? Ego means, shh, don't tell anyone, but I'm really running the show. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you what. If you want to tell people, tell a lot of people. <laughs> In fact, the more people you tell, the better. Ego is attributing power to yourself that you simply don't have. So, you know, on Rosh Hashanah, one of the big things that we have to do is we have to perform a bit of uh, surgery on ourselves. We have to do an egoectomy. <laughs> you know what an egoectomy is? That's saying from the bottom of my heart, I believe, God, that this entire world belongs to you. This is your world, God. It's your world. And thank you so much, God, for allowing me to be part of it. And just what do you want me to do? I'm, I'm here for you, God. What, what do you want me to do? Just tell me, tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. So God says, you know what I would love you to do? Once a week, I want you to have a party. And you know what? Buy all the things in, in advance. Don't even cook. I want, you to, I want you to be a guest at your own party. <laughs> and you know what? Take the day off. <laughs> yeah, you're giving me the day off. I'm giving you the day off. Is that okay? Are you sure? It's my world. Really? But not next week, too. Next week, too. Really? And what do you want me to do next week? Throw a party. <laughs> but you know what? Prepare everything in advance because I want you to be a guest at that party, too. So, so that's Chavez, right? That's Chavez. And Chavez, Chavez is that time, again, where we remember that God's the one who's running the world. See, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, the, the ability for a person, even a well-intentioned person, to forget. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy. You know? And that's one of the greatness of, 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 of the mitzvot and Torah, is that God builds in all of these holy reminders for us throughout the entire day, throughout the entire week, throughout our entire life. And allows us to go, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right, God. Thank you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. All right. I'll tell you. Just going to wrap it up, and I don't know. I, I, I just because I, I I don't know if this is going to get printed in this form. They tell me they're going to print it in some form. I don't know what it's going to look like when it actually hits the page. But um, I guess the, the the Jewish paper here, the Jewish Journal, sort of like is 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 doing some section for the holidays, and they um, they asked a few people for some. I guess. I don't know, some wisdom of some sort. So they sent me some questions.
and I, I did my best to answer them. There, there are six questions, and I gave some short answers. So we'll just um, wrap it up with the, with, with, with the interview, if you will. <laughs> it won't take long, a couple of minutes. And, uh, and so here it goes. So the first question is, what's the best piece of life advice you have ever received? Who told it to you? Okay, that was the question. So here was my answer. When I was eight years old, I started reading Hasidic stories. From them, I learned, one, that there's a God and he is good. Two, Hashem is intimately involved in every aspect of your life. And three, everything that happens is for the best, even if we can't understand it in the moment. The more I experience, the more I see that these foundations are not only true, but essential keys to living a beautiful life. Okay, that's question number one. Um, Question number two. When you're going through a challenging period, let's say a writing project of yours that isn't getting the attention you want, how do you keep yourself motivated? So I answered, one of the most valuable teachings that I ever learned is that the effort we put into something is in our hands, but the results are in God's hands. Appreciating our limitations actually empowers us to focus on what we can make, where we can make a difference and to let go of the rest. Number three. How do you stay grounded when you are experiencing great success? After, exper- I answer, after experiencing so many highs and lows, the highs become more valuable because you know they are fleeting, and the lows become more tolerable because you know that if you can just stay in the game, better times lay ahead. Uh, number four. What advice do you have for someone who is trying to reach a very selective position? So I answered, be careful how you define yourself. If you think of yourself as quote-unquote a writer, or quote-unquote a lawyer, or quote-unquote a businessman, then your self-esteem will be unduly defined by your success in that field. Don't fall into that trap. Each of us are creations of God. Our job is to be the best, sweetest, most compassionate, hard-working version of ourselves. And if we can pull that off, no matter what our circumstances, we are by definition a success. Number five. What do you tell yourself to keep going when you are pushed to your limit? And I answered, that Shabbos is coming. (laughs) And finally, number six. If you had only an elevator ride to say something meaningful to a young adult, what would you say? I wrote, take your soul seriously. There is nothing deeper and more satisfying than Torah. And if you invest in those things, you not only connect with eternity, but you bring heaven down to earth. So, Hashem should bless us all with an awesome, awesome, awesome Rosh Hashanah, with an awesome three weeks. Remember, Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of an entire journey that we're going on. Remember, we create, and I just heard this from one of the world's top cardiologists, our heart recreates itself every three weeks. So right now in Rosh Hashanah, we're going to be standing Right? Like the white light going through the prison and being refracted. Rosh Hashanah is the capital of all beginnings. The beginning of all beginnings. And we're going to start to make a new heart for ourselves. We're going to pump that energy, that energy of newness, which is going to help us overcome any obstacles, right? Because we're also in the middle of the year simultaneously, throughout the entire year. And Hashem should bless us that we should all have successful egoectomies. Right? Where we understand, right? Not not self-esteemectomies, right? Egoectomies. 
when we understand that it's God's world and that we just want to be here for God and do whatever he wants us to do and to know that God only wants the sweetest, 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 best year, best world, best life for all of us. 